I'm going to start with this assumption or with this uh, statement. The church is not a place that we go. It isn't an activity that we do. The church of Jesus is who we are. So the church isn't a place we go. The church isn't an activity that we do. The church of Jesus is who we are. In a small village surrounded by cliffs, at the head of a river gorge in the jungles of Papua New Guinea, where we spent eight years, there's a village of around 1,500 people. There are other villages and hamlets spread around this circular plateau. The plateau sits 1,500 feet below these cliffs that, that go way up, and then 1,500 feet below or above the raging Kuat River below. It's rugged, it's beautiful. It takes days to hike to the next language group. Everyone is interrelated. If you don't like it there, you don't just get up and move away. There are no job changes pulling people to the other side of the country. You're born there, you live there, you farm there, you marry there, you grow old there, you die there, and you're buried there. That's the way life is. When God planted the church among the Toba people, it was the only church there. There were no other acts in town. Members had to love one another, get along and forgive, compromise, discuss, figure it out. Qualities such as patience and love and grace, forgiveness and reconciliation and peace were not natural. The traditional culture was one of revenge killing, sorcery and cannibalism. So the, the fruits of the Spirit were not a natural thing. It was completely the opposite for them. Because the church turned its back on the animistic cult and the traditional beliefs, they were not allowed to use the community building for gathering together. So we met for months out in the rain or in the sun, and we put up a tarp on poles eventually, and that was our, the place where we gathered. The church wasn't a place where we met. There was a camaraderie that grew around the teaching of God's word. The stories from the book of Acts were being lived out in their daily lives. Stories of overcoming old demons. Stories of God answering prayer. Stories of incredible healings. Stories of persecution. The church members would see another, one another in the village or on the, on the trail or in the garden. And they would talk and encourage one another. Church wasn't something that we did. If you didn't like something about what the church did or a decision that was made or there was someone you didn't get along with in the church, you couldn't just leave and go across the village and find another one. There was no other church to go to. Church was who we were. And it's a, it was the same in Paul's day. When the early church began, each city had only one church. Now, depending on the city, the size of the city or the persecution, or the size of the houses in which they met. The church may have met in separate locations, but they were one church. They submitted to one governing body of, of elders. And they cared for their own, the sick, the poor, the widows. They loved one another, and they were members one of another. The church wasn't a place that you went. It wasn't an activity that you did. The church of Jesus was who you were. Church literally means, the word church literally means assembly. They were the assembly of Jesus as followers of the way that he prescribed. It was their identity. A church is a community who believes in and loves Jesus as their savior and their head. They're committed to sourcing their daily lives in the worship of Jesus. Willing to follow Jesus and obey him 
in whatever he would have them to do. Church has recognized elders who shepherd and lead the church. Church is eager to love one another and maintain the unity that Jesus has brought into their midst. And they're regularly feeding upon God's word. And then they're actively spreading the good news of Jesus to those around them. That's a basic definition of a church. As we saw in Ephesians 3, Paul was a minister of the gospel, revealing the mystery of the church to the Jews and the Gentiles. The church is universal, meaning that all followers of Jesus everywhere around the globe are part of Jesus' body, the church. But there's also a local aspect to the church in that each and every local group of believers who truly follow Jesus as their Lord and Savior are local representatives or local representation of the global universal church. There was an understanding back then that if you were part of the church, say in Ephesus or in Corinth, um, then you were a member of that church. Paul uses the analogy of a body to describe the church. And he chooses to use the word member as we would use like the word body part. Your hand is a member of your body by the very nature of it being attached to the body. Your hand could not refuse to be a member of the body. It would be an impossibility. It would cease to be a hand. Well, it might be a hand, but it would cease to be functioning hand. It would cease to be what it is as a part of the body. So as we move forward in our discussion that the church is who we are, not something we do or somewhere we go, then this truth influences church membership, it influences baptism, and it influences generosity. So we're first going to look at church membership. Now, when I was much younger, I did not see the importance of church membership. Even though I was a church member, back as far as I can remember, I really didn't have a biblical reason as to why I was. I was quick to point out, actually, because I was, I was one of those uh, snobby type of people, that the term was not in the New Testament, right? So membership is not a New Testament thing, I would say. And for a while, I argued that membership is not a biblical concept. But I was thinking of membership in Western cultural um, terms or mindset. I thought of it in the context like joining a country club or a frequent flyer club or the gym membership or a Costco membership or pick and save, super save or fruit of the month club, whatever you want to say, right? The thing about becoming a member of one of those particular institutions is that it is done for my sake. Who can I network with? What do I get out of this membership? Is member, being a member worth the cost? When I feel I've gotten all I could out of this membership, is it, is it time to leave or is it time to stay? If there's a better deal down the road, do I go and, and transfer to a different membership? Just because I'm a member of one store doesn't mean I'm not going to shop at another one. However, church membership is quite different. Church membership is not about what I can get out of it, what are the perks? What does it cost? What does it mean for me? What kind of prestige do I get out of it? One doesn't just drop their membership. Being part of a church is not about being a consumer, as we saw a few months ago. It's about being a contributor. It's about identity, about community, and about accountability. So what I've come to learn is that if I become a church member for what I get out of it, then I will always be disappointed. Instead, my being a church member is about being part of a community 
loving others by serving their interests and fighting for the unity that Jesus has established in our midst, like we learned in Ephesians. But it still isn't in the Bible. So what do we do about that? Well, back in the early church and also in the the Tobo church, it was understood that when you believe in Jesus and then identified with him in baptism, that you were a member of that local community of believers, that church. It was expected that those who believe in Jesus, death, burial, and resurrection, were baptized, partook in communion, attended the local gatherings, served one another in love. That was what was expected. So membership, though the term is not used in the New Testament, is a biblically-based concept. And membership is important for three things. For identity, and for community, and accountability. So let's look at that. In Ephesians chapter 2, you can turn back there if you would like. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 21. Paul says this, he says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple of the Lord. And we studied this back a few months ago in Ephesians. He says, you are citizens and saints and members of the household of God. So what we can deduce from this is that we are all part of an eternal family built upon the law and the prophets. And the body is comprised of many members. We are joined together. Being members of Jesus' body forms our identity. We were once aliens and strangers, and we're now members of God's household because of what he has done. Becoming a member of Jesus' body is the result of choosing to follow him, to believe in him. And Jesus is the cornerstone. Becoming a member of, say, this local body affirms in this local place your decision to follow Jesus and thus be part of his bigger body, the universal body. So when you, when you, when you become a member of a local community, a local body, it affirms your decision to be part of Jesus' bigger body. Now Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. That's from the Gospel of John. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, And I know them, and they follow me. Now, Jesus is the great shepherd. And and he leads the church, and we realize that. And then he has given pastors and elders this title called under-shepherds. And as elders, we are simply under-shepherds. We follow the shepherd of all of us, Jesus. We serve Jesus. But if Jesus knows each of his sheep by name, then we believe it's important for each of us to know the sheep by name so that we can better serve the flock. As a result, we know who are responsible, who we are responsible to shepherd and take care of, and we know who we can count on and who can count on us. As elders, we take this seriously. In 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter says this, so he says, I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Jesus, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed, he says, shepherd the flock of God, That is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. So Peter's saying, shepherd the people. God has given you this flock, shepherd those people. Membership facilitates the identity, identifying who is and who is not part of the flock. It allows the elders and I, as well as all of you, to know who's committed to this local body. And thus, who's part of the bigger community of Jesus. 
So first, it's identity. And then secondly, community. In Romans chapter 12, verse 4 and 5, Paul says this. He says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So here's that word member. And he's using it as referencing to a body, like a body part, but he uses that word member. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. And later on in that same chapter, in chapter 12, he says, We rejoice with those who rejoice. We weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. So we are members of Christ's body and of one another. We are a community. We are intertwined. We are connected. Whether we want to be or not, that's what Jesus does to each and every one of us. Each member has a specific function. Without each one fulfilling their function, we cease to be the body as we should be. We need one another. And I've said this over and over as we've gone through Ephesians. We've seen that we need one another. We grow better in community than when we're on our own. We help one another in community. Now when it comes to, like today we have a a membership meeting. When it comes to voting on decisions in the church, those that are members, it allows those who are part of this community, who have identified with this this particular church, to be part of the decision-making process and to be part of the conversation. As shepherds and elders, we can be sure that those who are voting have the body's best interests in mind. It helps us all know where each other are at. Membership fosters community. And then, accountability. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul's again talking about this idea of, of a body. And he says, The eye cannot say to the hand, so my eye cannot say to my hand, I have no need of you, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. That's from 1 Corinthians 12, 21-22. From there, we can learn that each of us needs one another. Each of us needs one another. There is purpose for all of us. I need you to help me grow, and you need me to help you grow. The community provides accountability by which we can do that. If we all know one another and truly enter into one another's lives as members one of another, then we can all benefit from the honest community and accountability living that that fosters. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul goes on, he says, The members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, we all rejoice together. God shows up in our midst as we care for one another. As we heard this morning, sometimes in the same couple of weeks, there will be in our midst those that are grieving and some that are rejoicing, some that are sick and others that are healed. And as parts of the body, when one suffers, we all suffer. When one rejoices, we all rejoice. Now it's our goal to keep one another accountable, to care for, to pray for, to rejoice with one another. So help us in that by letting us know. Let the office know. Let me know. Let the elders know when big things in your life show up or to small things so that we can be in prayer and we can be communicating that to one another. But membership opens the door for each of us to speak into each other's lives. It minimizes doubts and it clarifies people's intentions and it affirms who is part of the body and who is not. 
If everyone is a member, then not for their own sake, but for the sake of others, then we can know that we all share accountability with one another. So we are the church of Jesus Christ. We identify with him. He has designated his church in such a way that there is both a universal and local expression. KMCC is one expression of the global church. It's important to commit as a member to one local church for the sake of identity, accountability, and community. With all that in mind, our membership process at KMCC is focused on learning who you are and building a relationship with you so that your identity as a follower of Jesus is confirmed and you are in a healthy accountability with others and you're surrounded by a godly community. If someone wants to join or wants to identify KMCC as their church family and commit to being an active member, then the process is like this. Very simple. You schedule a meeting with the lead pastor, that's me, or the director of ministries, that's Dallas, and one of the elders. Elders, could you please stand so people know who you are? We only have three or four of them, but schedule with the elders. These are your elders. You schedule a meeting with them. Thanks, you can be seated. We don't have a class. It's just a conversation with leadership so that you can get to know us and we can get to know you. It allows you to have a relationship with someone in leadership that you can be comfortable approaching with anything you may need or any questions that you may have. And the second thing is you provide a written testimony of how you came to faith in Jesus and how you've grown in your faith since. That way we have a written file on how you're growing, how are you progressing, so that we can know how to best disciple and shepherd you. And we can help you with that if you've never written down your life story, because that can be a daunting thing for some people. And we don't ask for 10 pages. We just ask for a few short paragraphs describing who you are. And then we have a, a KMCC membership affirmation booklet, which includes our statement of faith. We ask that you read through that and, and agree with it and then sign it. Once we've done all that, then you're a member of KMCC. And what we're going to institute this year, not necessarily now, but probably a year from now, is a yearly affirmation for all of our members. And this will be a communication sent out from either me or one of the elders. And it will simply, you just simply return it or respond to it and say, yes, I reaffirm my commitment to the church. And we'll start it most likely next year, or probably around the time of the annual congregational meeting. The purpose of yearly affirmation is to promote conversation. So sometimes we can just get kind of lax in our conversations to promote conversation, to give you an opportunity to ask questions from the past year, things like that. Yearly affirmation also makes, you a, makes your continued membership intentional. Let's face it, many of us get in the rut and forget the commitments that we've made. I look through my wallet and I know, oh, I'm a Costco member. Oh, I'm a Pick and Save member. Oh, I'm a, I'm a Quick Trip member. I don't even remember all the places I'm a member of. I know you're never going to forget that you're a member of the church, but it helps it to be intentional in our lives. And we, it'll help to refresh what we believe and why we believe it and why we're committed to this church. So that's why we're going to do yearly affirmation. So that's membership. The second thing I want to talk to you about was baptism. Baptism is what Jesus instituted to be a public declaration that identified his followers with him. And there's that word again, identity. Identity. Being a Christian is actually a way of life. It's not a segmented activity it's not a status on our profile. It's not a place that we go. 
It's the way in which we live. Being a Christian is the way in which we live. When followers of Jesus get baptized, they're affirming in themselves and declaring to the world that they are identifying with Jesus, that they are following him. Now, people will ask, why does someone need to get baptized? I hear this question a lot. Baptism doesn't save you, so what's the point? And that's a good question. So why do it then? Well, there's three reasons why I think baptism is important. Number one, it's to physically demonstrate a spiritual reality. Number two, it's to obey Jesus' command. And number three, it's to identify with Jesus. So really quickly, to, to physically demonstrate a spiritual reality. It is the way that Jesus himself gave us of physically demonstrating what he has spiritually done for us. Paul says this in the book of Romans, chapter 6. He says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So spiritually speaking, in Jesus, we died to our old self. We talked about this in Ephesians, which has been buried with him, and we have been raised to newness of life. Spiritually, this is a reality for us. I believe Paul is saying that there is more to the physical act than just a physical act. So secondly, though, he says, it's, it's an, secondly, so it's physically to demonstrate a spirituality. Secondly, it's to obey Jesus' command. In Matthew 28, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. We hear this all the time. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things. So baptism is part of Jesus' great commission. And I've heard this verse preached many times. I'm a missionary. I've run in those circles, right? That, that's our, that's our, our theme song right there. What often gets brushed over is the phrase, baptizing them. In my experience in missions, baptism is not necessarily a priority. Belief is always the priority, and it, and it should be a priority. But as important as belief is, many believers are not encouraged to be baptized after they believe. Some tragically don't get baptized at all, and many wait years and years to obey this important command of Jesus. And Jesus links baptism with being a disciple of his. He says, go and make disciples, baptizing them. And Paul links the physical act with a spiritual reality. So back in Romans 6, Paul's linking this physical act with a spiritual reality. Since it was vital part of discipleship for Jesus, and an expected reality for Paul, then I would submit that it should be the same for us. Jesus commanded us to be baptized and to baptize others. What would hinder us from obeying the one who gave us that command? There shouldn't be a hindrance, just simple obedience. And the third is, third reason that baptism is important, it's to identify with Jesus. We believe in Jesus, we follow him, and baptism identifies us as his follower. And the book of Acts is full of examples of those who believed and were baptized as a means of identifying with Jesus once they had believed. It was the norm for them to believe and to be baptized almost immediately. 
In Galatians 3, Paul says, he says, For as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now remember we talked about putting off and putting on, right? In Ephesians. Somehow this act of baptism is part of our putting on Christ. I believe that it is a sign of our true belief. That we are not ashamed to be identified as a follower of Jesus. Many years ago now, I won't tell you how many, if I had said that I loved Kelly, but I had never put a ring on her finger to demonstrate the reality of my love, would I have really loved her? Now, you can go all kinds of places with this, but she would have wondered if I had loved her, right? And others would have wondered if I truly loved her if I never wanted to put the ring on her. Action naturally follows what is in the heart. And according to C.S. Lewis, God ordained that this physical universe that we live in is a way of expressing what is in our hearts. In the same way, what does it say to friends and family? What does it say to Jesus when I choose to identify with him in the way that he provided? It proves my allegiance to him and my love for him. If I say I won't get baptized because I don't need to, and yet I still say I believe in him, that's incongruous. Jesus gives us this way for us to physically enter into the internal spiritual thing that he has done for us. So what needs to happen before we get baptized? We don't need to be able to understand all the theology or how exactly God saves us, because that's pretty intense, or what the word propitiation means, or to be able to recite the birth genealogy of Jesus in Matthew. We just need to know that Jesus loved us enough to die for us and rise again on the third day. All you need to know is that you want to identify with this Jesus that saved you. And you shouldn't wait too long. You don't have to wait until you're a certain age. You just need to be able to understand the gospel and believe it. You don't have to wait until you feel ready. You just simply do it after you put your faith in Jesus. It's that simple. One of the prerequisites to church membership is that each of us is baptized or in Wisconsin, because it's winter and we don't necessarily have a baptismal, has plans to be baptized fairly soon. Why would this be a prerequisite? It only makes sense that each of us would identify as a follower of Jesus before we affirm membership in a local expression of his body. It makes sense, logically. I believe in Jesus. I am going to identify with him through baptism. I'm going to express my following him in baptism. And now I'm going to identify with his local body believers. And if there's anything that is keeping someone from identifying with Jesus, then we get the opportunity to talk through it with them and pray that God would remove the hindrance from them identifying with Jesus. It's an opportunity for discipleship. And I think that's wonderful. If someone here would like to be baptized, please talk to me or one of the elders afterwards, and we'll work out a plan for how and when and where that that can happen in the next few months. And we'll rejoice with you in this decision. It's a big decision. And then the third thing I want to talk about today is contributing to the body, generosity, with both our service and our finances. In Ephesians, we saw that there are, we are each given gifts of the Spirit for the common good, for building one another up in love. Our time, our talents, our treasures were all given to us specifically by the Spirit so that we could use them for the sake of blessing others in the body. 
Just as membership is not about me, but about others, God gives us gifts of time, talent, and treasures to be used for his sake and for the benefit of others. They are not meant to be exclusively used for me and for my own benefit. So financially, now as you can tell, we're almost to the end of my message. So though Jesus speaks about money more than he speaks about faith and prayer, I'm not going to speak too long on this topic. I don't have that long, and I don't want to keep you here all day. I promise you that I will not make giving at KMCC a dreaded topic. And here's why. God loves a cheerful giver, not a guilty giver. The New Testament doesn't speak to a percentage that one should give, but to a heart, of, a heart attitude of giving. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 9, 6-8. He says, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Now that's a lot of alls again. Paul is really into using that word. From this, we can deduce that giving financially to the church is assumed by Paul. There's no magic amount. How much we give should be prayerfully decided in our hearts. And I would add, if if you're a couple, it's important to be in agreement on how much and stick to it as a couple. Number four, it should be generous and not stingy. Number five, God will make all grace abound to you as you follow his will. Giving generously to God loosens the grip that money has upon our heart. We learn deeper trust in God and less trust in money. Let's face it, money's the easier thing to trust in because we can see it and it's tangible. And giving it back to God allows us to pull away from that and focus on him. Giving generously to God reminds us regularly that we have, all we have is really God's anyway. This fosters thankfulness for what we have instead of greed for what we don't have. And giving generously allows God to work in miraculous and unique ways to provide for us. Giving generously should hurt a little bit. It should force us to our knees in dependence and to look to God and not to our money for provision. And then we're sick. Giving should be the first line item in our budget. We give the first fruits, not the leftovers. God deserves our best, not what we have left over at the end of the month. And let's be quite honest. When I get to the end of the month, if I haven't budgeted to give to God, I'm probably not going to have anything left over because I like coffee and chocolate and all those other things and I'll forget. I'm excited about our new fiscal year and I'm hopeful that we will all join together to give to the work of the Lord. So contributing to the body is about my giving finances generously and regularly to the church for the sake of building up the body. But it's also about service. Being a member of Christ's body is recognizing that nothing I have is my own for my own sake, even my time and my talents. As you all know, we have various volunteer needs posted throughout the months. You see it through the emails and things like that. And you'll be happy to hear that virtually all the spots have been filled. So I commend you all in stepping in to fill those spots. Children's church, to the child care, to cleaning, to um, the, the deacons, to ushering, all that stuff, the, the security, all of it's been filled. It's wonderful. 
However, that doesn't mean that there's nothing for you to do if you haven't already signed up. Here's why. The more that we have that have signed up for these duties that we need to do to get things done around here, the fewer times that each of us has to actually contribute. And more time we get to spend together in the room here. So we're always happy to add another name or two to the list. So why volunteer, though? Volunteering your time is a way for you to build up others in the body. It's a time for you to give back to those who are here. Your participation helps everyone. It also, number two, strengthens your faith. I've seen God use the most menial of tasks done in his name to grow the faith of those who are doing the work. Sometimes it's because they get to interact with people they normally wouldn't be able to. Or sometimes it's because they get time alone with the Holy Spirit and they listen to him as they do the act. Or sometimes it's because they see and experience things they would never experience otherwise because God puts them in situations they wouldn't normally be in. And volunteering is a, your time is a great way to demonstrate love for Jesus and love for others. So I encourage you to, take, to, to look for ways in which each of us can use our everyday life, our physical talents, our homes, our possessions, our money, our natural abilities for the sake of serving others in the body. So as the Spirit continues to remind us of the truths we learn in Ephesians, may we grow as a community in our accountability and love for one another. After all, the church isn't a place we go. It isn't an activity we do. The church of Jesus is who we are. Let's pray.